Hey, what is up, nerds? Guess what I want to tell you about. Have you ever listened to the show and you thought to yourself, man, I want to wear what they're saying? Well, folks, we have that for you right now. That's right. All the content that you're hearing on the show and original content is located at the merch at nerdonomy.com. That's right. We have t-shirts. We have things that are made in the U.S. Support the Nerdonomy. Support the U.S. Just wear our stuff. Awesome. Sound check. Sound check. Check one. Check. Sound check. Checking two. Ah, I have returned. Dracula. Here to record with you. Hey. Uh, hey, Dracula. Hey. Yeah, how's How it going? Good, 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 good to see ya. What? 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 What were you not expecting me to remember? We talked about this last year. Oh, right. The the, uh-huh. the Vampires episode. Right. We recorded you with the cold open. You and Frankenstein's monster came. And yeah. It was great, though. I mean, yeah, we, we, I remember we lo- that. We loved it. You were going to have me back on the show. We were going to do an entire episode of Vampires. Yeah, we, 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 kind of, um, we kind of did that last week. What? What are you talking about? I was supposed to come on to the show. Why would you hey, do hey, that? Okay, Dracula, Dracula, you know what? Here's what we'll do. We'll do a whole month on vampires next year that that's great brian that's right absolutely you know it you know, how scheduling comes a little mix-ups here and there we'll, we'll do a whole month an entire month just for you good um this will be fine of course if we don't uh, you remember what will happen to you no, i'm sorry no i slipped my mind the killing part where i kill you both of you oh right suck you dry you remember yeah that, okay no no yeah. I, I i i do very distinctly remember that okay next year though promise all right, all right, fine. Goodbye! What a sucker. Oh, man, I never thought he would leave. God! Wait, he can't hear us right now, can he? Nah, I don't think so. All right. Yeah. Um, hey, Frankie, yeah. come on out. You can come out now. He's, 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 he's gone. <laughs> yeah, that's a much better choice. I, I'm glad you were able to join us this week. <laughs> this will work. This is good. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I'm Eric Brickmont. Sir, how are you? I am excited. You are excited, huh? I am excited. This has been an exciting week for me. Why? Uh, Please well, share. If you've been following the Facebook page uh, and you are a Whovian like I, then you know that we oh, have... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We have recovered, not we as in Nerdonomy, but we as in the BBC, uh, have recovered Lost Doctor Who episodes. From Africa, which is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Good. It was nine episodes, correct? Nine episodes total across two different serials, uh, completing one serial, leaving all but one episode left of the other. And uh, it is it is an exciting time because for those who are uh, TV historians, they know that it was a common practice back in uh, both not just England, but also in America and around the world, really, to wipe and uh, clear out tapes in the old archives to be used and reused in the 1960s and 70s and a lot of classic television shows as a result have uh, disappeared have been destroyed thankfully doctor who even in the 1960s and 70s when it was in its infancy was still very popular to the point where other countries wanted to you know air episodes so they had these 16 millimeter versions that were sent out uh and the ones that had made it to some other countries like Hong Kong and Singapore recently, Nigeria, Ethiopia, 
uh, over the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of these episodes been returned to the BBC, who they have uh, subsequently remastered and resynced the original audio, of which we have all of the audio of the original uh, episodes. So they've gotten synced those back together. And now, for the first time in 45 years, people are getting a chance to see these uh, serials again for the, fir- for the first time for many of us, like myself, who, you know, I haven't been around that long. So yeah, it's, totally. a, it's a neat opportunity. And, I, and as a Whovian, I'm super excited. Yeah, that's great. It's really, really awesome. I haven't watched them yet, though. Okay. Because it's the 50th anniversary this year. So I'm decided that uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch the most recent seasons, the most recent seven seasons, starting with uh, Christopher Eccleston as the ninth Doctor, all the way through, just to kind of re-experience Doctor Who in its most recent form to prepare for the 50th anniversary episode, which will be on November 23rd. And then, after I finish that, I will actually be re-watching all of Doctor Who from the very beginning up until the end of the 26th season in uh, the the classic series. Uh, It'll probably take me a year because uh, I only have a couple hours at any time of the week to actually watch that, but I'm gonna have fun doing it. So. Okay, yeah, as, probably will take you a year. Yeah, as a nerd, I feel it's my responsibility. Good to know. So yeah, have an exciting week. Absolutely, you should take all the Christmas specials and then watch them all during Christmas. Ah, I can't do that though. I gotta watch them chronologically. Mm, all right, fine. All in order. Yeah. yeah, I'm already on season four though of the of the new series because I've been at this for a couple of weeks now. So okay, well not cool. new series, but you, you know, I mean the revival. The yes, I understand. Who. Yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. We are three weeks in. By the time you guys get this episode, uh, Les Miserables have closed. Yeah. Yeah. My hair is getting really long. You're looking a little bushy. I am. And I'm I'm hating it. So I'm counting down the days until I get my hair cut. God. If that's a first world problem. It is totally a first world of. problem. And it totally is. I fully recognize that. I own that. But it's starting to get a little sentimental. Because we're realizing, oh, well, we've only got three more performances yeah. left of the show before it's uh, it's done. That would be this coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? Uh, this coming Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oh, that's right. You guys are not doing it Sunday. Yeah. The company I'm working with usually doesn't do a closing matinee. They want it to be a closing night. So they always, sure. so they cut one performance off. In fact, they usually don't even do a Thursday on the closing weekend. They huh. just do it two shows. But they knew that with the demand of the show, they were going to need an extra uh, performance. Yeah, so. well, the reviews keep coming back. People are very fond. Getting lots of accolades from audience members, indeed. We got a review uh, in one of the papers in San Francisco. We have tons of community theater in the Bay Area, but this is going to be an, an anomaly. This is going to be something that will go down in, in South Bay's theater history uh, as one of these rare occasions where a show just came together and was just spectacular. And uh, I say that not for my contribution, but because I am part of a majorly talented cast. And uh, an exceptionally talented orchestra. Um, that just—it was all the right pieces that came together at the same time. So, well, give yourself some credit. I mean, some of that is due to you. Who are also. I'm yeah. fortunate that I'm can be. I'm I'm humbled that I am considered part of those that group of people. Yeah. Um, that's a very affirming feeling, but it doesn't make me feel like I'm a better performer because of it. It just means I'm I'm glad that someone considered me worthy to be amongst these people. Well, well done, sir. Thank you. Anyway. Thank uh, God it's almost over, because I'm just sick of you talking about Les Mis. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're just jealous, Eric. I am jealous. I, I can't sing. I, I can't perform like that. Is that is not true. You should hear this man in karaoke. He oh, can... no. No one needs to hear that. Sean, if you ever somehow manage to get your hands on that audio, and you try to put it on this show, 
I will quit. <laughs> no, you won't. Okay, I won't quit, but I'll be very cross. <laughs> That's your response? That's my I'll response. I'll be very cross. I'll be very cross. <laughs> Perturbed, one might say. Oh, uh, that's yeah. awesome. Don't you dare ever put any of that audio on this I, podcast. I, I won't. I just, that's so like you. Because Eric is not a bad guy at all. Like you could have just said so many things like, I will come to your house and kill your pets. <laughs> <laughs> or <That's> horrible. <laughs> No, you could say some very evil things, and yeah. you just, I, just, I will be very cross with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyhow. noted, noted. By yes. the way, yes. All right, good. Uh, uh, shall we move on to this week in listener feedback? Yes, we shall. This week in listener feedback. Hey, folks! If you haven't realized already, we have our feedback page back up and running. Huzzah! And uh, perfectly timed. This comes from Dave, and Dave writes, "Gents." Thanks for all the great programs. I find uh, something to enjoy in all of your episodes. One of the things I really enjoy is references of some of your sources to let me follow my interests further. Have you thought of expanding that by maybe having a related Nerds on History book report slash review section? Uh, This could be uh, a periodic segment in your programming, i.e. filler, and a section of the webpage related to what I might suggest like Elizabeth uh, Kostova's The Historian. It's a good history-oriented vampire book. It weaves fiction and vampire lore with Balkan and Ottoman history. Was that Vulcan? Balkan. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I would love to hear about books of interest from other history-minded nerds. I'm always on the hunt for different books. Then he goes on to mention uh, us talking about getting sponsorship for uh, Audible.com and and Amazon, and we're actually already working on that, sir, so thank you for, for implying what we're already working on. That's great. Uh, we we agree with you. Uh, I'm assuming, based on your choice of grammar, that uh, you're from the British Isles in some form. So oh, well, I think I saw someone with a similar name follow us on Twitter, like right after we got this feedback. So I'm pretty sure if that's it's true, it might be the same person. Yeah, if yeah. that's true, then uh, Dave's from Ireland, right? Which is still considered one of the British Isles. It, well, yes, I'm so, just getting more specific. Yes, I'm not saying that it's outside. I know the not British many Isles. Irish people are keen to be uh, associated with the British, so apologies. Yeah, don't, don't anger the Irish. Yeah, They're, they are our most culturally uh, significant follower <laughs> other I, than we, America. We have a really large fan base in Ireland. I don't know what it is, but I love it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I think it's actually quite small, but it's just been lucky that we've gotten all these different sparse people from across okay. the country. But maybe they're our most vocal of our uh, They're definitely the most vocal. It's them in, the, in Australia have been our two most vocal, I think, countries. Fascinating. Yeah, it is Absolutely very fascinating. fascinating. So we got some Facebook uh, feedback this week. This comes from Caitlin. And we asked a question last Friday. What's the nerdiest thing you've done all week? Uh, and she, uh, she even though we, we asked outside of our podcast, she implied it was pretty much listening to our podcast. Uh, she, uh, she thought it was fantastic and... Uh, was a bit disappointed recently when she was listening to a different podcast on history. Uh, I, I won't mention it by name, but um, they were doing a, a podcast on Easter Island, and they didn't mention the Moai. So uh, we, of course, suggested then to listen to our Let's Dial It Back a bit episode, where we referenced other monolithic structures, including the Moai. And uh, she's going to do exactly that. So I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, this other history podcast is held in rather high esteem, yet she uh, she's a fan of ours. And, uh, hey, it's kind of validating. I like it. Also, we have some feedback from Natasha, who states that she uh, just started listening to our podcast. Uh, she is uh, absolutely enjoying it. Uh, very great content, she says. 
uh, helps get her through the workday. But she has a question. She asks uh, why the M4A format uh, is MP3 not cool enough. And considering you're our kind of technical wizard, I thought you could um, answer Put that simply, one. no. <laughs> oh. Um, so here is the reason why we post in the M4A format, in case you're wondering. Well, it, first off, it's no shock at this point that uh, we're pretty much on the Apple platform. Yeah. Um, we do recognize that there's a number of our fans who do not use Apple products. Totally understandable. What I will say, though, is there are some technical advantages to the M4A format over the MP3 format. One of them is that M4A, for the file size you get, tends to yield a, a much higher sound quality than what MP3 gets out. Yes, you can change the bit rate on MP3s and make them larger. Um, given that we're on the Apple platform, it's just an easier output for, for us to uh, to work with. If we get enough support, enough requests for MP3s, we will consider uh, changing our format. But you're the first person to say something, actually, after over a year of, of us recording. So, Well, she didn't imply that she didn't like it. I think she was just curious. Oh, I think she did, why. Eric. I think she did. Brian, calm down. Take a breath. I'm sorry. I just get very passionate about M4As. Stop angering our listeners. Uh, no, I, I yeah, like I said, I think she's just curious as to why, and I didn't even know the reason why, and I, I'm the host on the podcast, which is kind of sad. But uh, we're going to glaze I'm the tech that. geek of our, of our group, though, so that's it's, true. it's, yeah, it just is what it is. So anyway, um, that's the reason why. Um, if Like I said, if, you, if we have uh, more people who want to do MP3s, we'll definitely look into Yeah, we, we might be able that. to put those up on the website alongside. Yeah, uh, we can maybe like, post an MP3 and an M4A version mm-hmm. yeah. side by side. Okay. Yeah, well indeed. Done. Do you have any other listener feedback? That's all uh, we got. I think that's all we've got. Though we did get another, we got we got a thank you from Kind of Epic Show today, thanking us for the shout out, and we will certainly said they'll shout us out on the next podcast. And so I think so this is a, this is a recoil of that. And then they're going to thank us. And now we're going to thank and them we're back thank for them again, thanking them. And this is going to continue. Exactly, we're thanking them for thanking us, my lord. And then they will thank us for thanking them for when thanking will us. It stop, Brian. When will it stop? <laughs> I guess there's no real reason for it to stop. What are we talking about again? I don't know. Let's <laughs> let's get on with the show, shall we? Uh, listeners, as you, of course, have been listening all month long, we are uh, continuing to do our fantastic, and i got to say, these past couple of episodes have been truly fantastic, our fantastic look into the history of Halloween all month long. So what better way to do that than to talk about animal husbandry? Absolutely. You know, pigs have a long and interesting history. And we're not going to talk about it today. But uh, that is actually an interesting topic. I do want to talk about that at some point. I think we could do an entire show on it. And I think that we could focus a good chunk of it on Yeah, we should. Maybe we should do it during next Halloween, because what could be more terrifying? Thanks, Brian. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Some people are are scared of pigs, I'm just saying. People are scared of pigs? I think some people are scared of pigs, absolutely. Can you confirm that? Is there a phobia? Is there a swinophobia? I'm almost certain there is. Okay. I won't look it up right now because we're busy. But all right, well, but fair yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, pigs beside. We are instead covering uh, today monsters. Monsters. So, what do we mean by monsters? Well, I think for me, I always like to go back to the root of the word. And what is it? Where does it come from? And that helps me determine how I interpret the term. So, the uh, the word monster derives itself from the Latin word monstrum, meaning an aberrant. Occurrence, uh, meaning just an abnormal thing. Usually it's biological, um, and it's taken as a sign of something wrong, something against the the, un, the natural order 
you, of yeah, things. Usually it's accompanied by ill tidings. Exactly. Um, oftentimes it's used in a modern term to uh, signify inhumane behavior by individuals, but we're going to focus more on the classical meaning of monster, which is that we're talking about creatures, really, uh, these apparent creatures who have uh, worked their way into cultural folklore and right. into stories throughout, throughout history. And they're oftentimes horrific, nasty monstrosities. I mean, they're, they're, they're not very nice things that we're talking about. Indeed. And so we thought, what better way to do this than to bring back our old friend... Oh, you're going to say it, aren't you? The Wheel of History. Did you like that? It was lovely. Thank you. Wow. Hey, bro... Brian, what have you done to the Wheel of History? I did nothing. It did this on its own. I think it's sentient. That's fascinating. <laughs> and terrifying. Uh, for those of you who can't see the Wheel of History right now, it, it's it's significantly sharper uh, than it was previously. There, there's a lot of uh, large, protruding, very sharp, jagged edges that have come out from it where the usual little, you know, the little um, pegs around the, the edge are where it kind of sits down and it's got a large knife now instead where the little pointer is to the topics and uh uh is that that's blood yeah there's blood dripping from it okay that's cool i say we just go with it it's it, it is kind of frightening me a little bit but i think we just go with it yeah who wants to first go with the... a stick or something i don't want to touch it yeah, i don't want to touch it either can we just kick it <laughs> maybe we just ask it we think it's sentient right so sure okay wheel of history do your thing All right, and the first monster to show up today is the Popobawa. The Interesting. The Popobawa. The Popobawa. Popobawa is actually Swahili. Uh, and as you can imagine, therefore, this creature comes from the continent of Africa, specifically Zanzibar, although reports have come from Tanzania. And the, uh, the Popobawa literally means bat wing. So Popo means bat, and Bawa means wing. So, pretty easily to understand, I'd say. And, and this is a creature that Batman flies during, um, you know, aerial needs of crime fighting? Uh, if he does, the Popobawa and Batman have an interesting relationship. Considering the Popobawa's special abilities, I don't think we want to go there. Oh, really? <laughs> this creature's... This creature is a rather interesting creature. Go ahead, so, just say it. Well, when you when you look at it, it is uh, it, it's bat like, obviously, but it's got kind of an anthropomorphized form to it, so it's sort of human like. But it's got a, a mouth full of sharp teeth with a large cyclops like eye in the center beneath a couple little snouts. And this there's various reports, but this is one form that it's thought to be able to take. Uh, that's its nocturnal form, though. So at night. It attacks its uh, its victims in in the shape of this this horrific bat creature. During the day, however, it looks like anybody else. Oh, so, so it's one of these animagus kind of things where it can. Honestly, the majority of of monster like creatures from around the world oftentimes have a a, uh, a hidden state in the daylight, and many times it's just an unassuming individual in the, in the community. Uh, which, again, kind of dials back to when we were talking about witches and what have you and, and people who yeah. are persecuted in communities and blamed to be these supernatural beings when they were just people who were yeah. not liked in the community. Um, this is not uncommon. This is actually a, a trait that's used in the Grimm TV series. 
they use this to explain creatures who are in masquerading in human form. That's right. I've seen that. It's actually not that bad of a show. No, it's pretty interesting. Uh, anyhow, the creature also has one other um, physical trait. Uh, it is known to have uh, a penis that is approximately six feet in length. Are you serious? I'm serious. This is this is this is the myth, and it is a uh, it is a nasty, nasty little demon who goes around sexually assaulting people. Wow. Yes. Hence the interesting relationship with Batman. Oh, never mind. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's not nice. And what's interesting is the deterrent for this creature is sleeping outdoors. I know, it seems strange, right? Here is this bat-like creature that's nocturnal that does its actual attacks at night. Yeah, because bats don't really necessarily reside in caves. They can, but they also nestle in trees, too. They don't... Sure, there's a wide variety of places where bats can kind of take their rest. Yeah. But you would assume they would be, again, outdoor. So why would you want to be outdoor? Uh, but for whatever reason, it appears to, to ward people off. And, and those who are actually legitimately afraid of these creatures are oftentimes sleeping outside. They prefer to do that because the attacks happen at night. So they sleep around fires and they, they essentially set up their backyard or front yard or what have you, even the roof of their house as a sleeping area. Maybe it's because they're out in the open and the creature's known for attacking in secret. Uh, or the fact that it's a made-up creature. I'm trying to justify it in the minds of someone who would believe in this. Yeah, from the research that I did, I couldn't really find anything that, that explained why it made sense for the individual to be outside. It is thought to be uh, rather pungent in odor, so and maybe even able to exist within smoke. So I, I don't know if being outside allows you to kind of perceive it sooner. You know, maybe you can smell it coming or you can see it coming faster than you would if you were inside your home you know, protected and concealed in, a, in, a, in an environment like your house. But uh, for whatever reason, it is also thought to be able to take human possession, though. And that's where it gets kind of freaky. It has a lot of parallels with demonic possession. And uh, exorcisms are even performed on individuals who are thought to be possessed by the Popobawa. Uh, and believe it or not, there are still instances today where the Popobawa is considered to be around people in mass hysteria ends up resulting. Uh, it's not a particularly old creature, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we find most of the early re- uh, reports of the Popobawa actually from about the 1960s and 1970s. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, and many times they are also accompanied by, quite unfortunately, stories of sexual assault. Mm. And it kind of makes you wonder culturally what's what's going on you know in this part of the world at that time and is this a way of explaining a sexual assault which for some individuals in some communities can be quite embarrassing uh it can be something that uh is difficult to hide from the physical injuries that are you know resulting but it is something that they culturally don't want people to be aware of especially if it was something from within the family even you know there there'd be sure. situations like that that happen well it's also something that you can more easily explain to children too with leaving the grim details out of it you know yeah and in this part of the world uh islam is a predominant religion that you find uh they would explain the smoke element because there's a, traces of that with the jinn who are the uh well we know of them as genies but the jinn in Arabic culture, is a creature that they believe is made uh, smokeless, but made uh, made from fire, just like uh, they believe in the Quran that humans were made from clay. 
Yeah, and 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 just like the the golem in in Judaism, for example, as well, mm-hmm. an interesting parallel between those two. But you'll find also examples of stigmas associated with sexual assault, not just in Islam, but also in Christianity and and uh, like religions. So it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to believe that there's some sort of tie-in for that. What I find perhaps most interesting, though, is that. Um, this part of the world was a slave market for a very, very, very long time. And there are those in the community who have created stories uh, surrounding individuals who were channeling evil spirits that were left over, essentially, from the, the evil going-ons that happened all those years ago, and that these spirits have now manifested and become the Popobawa. And essentially, it is this manifestation of all the horrible atrocities that were committed in this world uh, during the slave trade. So it's a fascinating additional cultural tie-in to the region and its history, even though this is a very recent monster, if you will. What I find also very interesting, and this will tie in, I think, perhaps later. We'll see what the Wheel of History has for us. But uh, in 1995, there was a huge rise in accounts of the the Popobawa coming into uh, people's homes and attacking them. And that ties in with the release of a particular movie that uh, I think I might just get a chance to to talk about a little bit later okay so i'll, I'll leave that as kind of my hook for the future because i think the, the the wheel of history and i are in tune tonight we'll see we'll see of course this is completely all random uh, of course completely absolutely completely absolutely completely random uh I, I will say one other thing though this reminds me very much of the western tradition of the incubus to a degree yeah uh, yeah. Which, in many uh, situations, was also used as an explanation for sexual assault against uh, nuns in the in the Catholic Church, who would end up becoming pregnant, many times as a result of abuse that was going on within the actual um, uh, nunneries, uh, nunneries, cloisters, or, whatever you yeah, want to call exactly. them. Yeah, exactly. So, you find, a, again, yeah. another kind of interesting parallel. It's true, because there was oftentimes there had to be a priest there to say mass for the nuns, so yeah, yeah. it could very be, be possible, and unfortunately... Without going into too much of a tangent, the history of abuse within the church goes back centuries. Not it's not a new fad. It's been around for a long time. So, yeah. yeah, and forgive me for taking this to a to a kind of sad place here, but you know it, it is interesting to see the the cultural reaction to these very real occurrences that do happen and the mm-hmm. way that it manifests into a demon, uh, which is really what the act is a lot like. Yeah. Anyhow, shall we uh, take a spin on the wheel again? Sure. Uh, wheel of history. Um, go. Uh, okay, ghouls. Interesting. Ghouls. So are we talking zombies? Are we talking reanimated dead? What are we talking about? See, here's the thing. Ghouls and zombies, I don't think, are the same creature. Why? Here's where they're similar. They are both known to feast on human flesh. Okay? Whether the flesh is living or not, I think, is, a, makes a, is an important distinction. Okay. Ghouls are known to reside around cemeteries. Which is why there's that nomenclature, why you mo- mostly associate them. Are they both the living dead, though? They're both technically considered undead creatures. Okay. But here's what I've also found. Zombies are supposed to be reanimated corpses. Zombies would, in fact, be eaten by a ghoul because they're they're dead flesh, essentially, right? Hmm. Um, the other thing is that ghouls technically have their faculties in place. I don't think they're a mindless being. I think they are fully aware of what they're doing. And they have a humanoid look to them, but they're not human. 
Interesting. So yeah. they're they're somewhat vampiric in a way, but vampires, as we know now, would know from last week, are creatures who are meant to uh, drain the life force right out of people. I don't think anyone's ever been persecuted for being a ghoul, uh, unlike what we talked about last episode, where we saw people's bodies being exhumed and burned because they thought they were vampires. Exactly. And just as an interesting side note, though, if you folks do want to hear a little bit more about zombies. We just had a wonderful episode on zombies for nerds on uh, film. Yeah, you want to check out episode 57, I believe. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was the one we did uh, last week uh, where we talked about zombie movies. So, yeah, give it a, uh, give it a try. Do you know where ghouls actually are uh, derived from? No, I don't. They're from uh, the Arabic world. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. The word ghoul itself, G-H-O-U-L, is a kind of a more anglicized version of the Arabic ghoul, G-H-U-L, which is just their word for devil or demon. Oh, okay. And they've, according to uh, this paper written by Ahmad al-Rahi, who is uh, from the College of Applied Sciences in the Sultanate of Oman, uh, he wrote a paper for uh, UC Berkeley on uh, the mythic ghoul of Arabic culture. And really, actually, the ghoul can be traced back as far as ancient Mesopotamia. Hmm. Um, but in fact, Wait, um, shouldn't I be talking about this? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the tables have turned, sir. <laughs> Except I have to research my stuff. You tend to just know it offhand most of the time. Fair enough. So yeah, there are times where as far back as Mesopotamia, there have always been devilish demon-like creatures. And you mentioned a couple of them when we were talking about vampires last week. There is uh, a quote I'm going to pull up here. So it says, Arabs before Islam believed that when God created genies from the gusts of fire, as we talked about a moment ago, he made from this type of fire their female part, but one of their eggs was split in two. Hence, the uh, kutrub, uh, which looked like a cat, was created. As for the devils, they came from the other egg, uh, which settled in the seas. Other evil creatures, such as the marid, inhabited the islands. The ghouls resided in the wilderness. So we have it kind of that description uh, from there. I mean, very, very ancient. Even this is kind of almost from the creation of the universe, right? The, these things have always been there. Um, fascinatingly enough, there are stories that are woven into early Islam. Uh, one of the second caliphs mentioned uh, one of his traits of slaying. Uh, a ghoul, and I'm paraphrasing from this paper. Um, you can do if you do a Google search, you can find it. By the way, that's how I did it. There's also some legends of the Prophet Muhammad in, huh. interacting with interesting. ghouls. Yeah, it is very very interesting. I also find it interesting that they talk about God as a um, monotheistic creature uh, or mon- monotheistic being uh, in pre-Islam the Middle East. Because I'm, I'm assuming then this would have been mostly Zoroastrian that we're dealing with, uh, right? In this region. So, uh, yeah, just found that really fascinating. And the reason why that it became popular to Western culture was probably due to this obsession with Orientalism that took place in the, I want to say, late 18th, early 19th centuries, uh, around the time that the the uh, 1001 Arabian Nights was, tr- was retranslated for a Western audience. And there is, of course, a tale within the 1001 Arabian Nights that deals with the ghoul. I think the story is actually the story of Sidi Noman, the guy who retranslated the author Galand, uh, he actually added some other details to it because, as far as we know, this is the first time where ghouls were made male. Hmm. Uh, because I think ghouls actually have been known to take on a female uh, form pr- prior to this. So it's kind of interesting. Now it just doesn't matter. It's just they're these human-like beings that like to feast on human flesh. So. You know what I find interesting is there's a parallel in Nordic mythology as well, which is the the Dragar. 
which is a, again, ghoul-like creature. It's not quite a zombie. It's not quite a, a vampire, right? And they, they usually possess some sort of intelligence. They're, they're very uh, intentional in, in what they're used for in mythology, though. And they're oftentimes guards. They're guarding crypts. They're guarding treasures. They're guarding uh, remains. And they're just kind of these reanimated dead bodies that are have that intentive uh, purpose of, of being a protective force against, sure. you know, Whatever it is they're, yeah. they're protecting. And to think about it, ghouls and vampires go kind of hand in hand. Because as we see Islam through the Ottoman Empire work its way into uh, Eastern Europe, it's not a far stretch to see how the lore of Arabic culture would also go with it, right? Especially when it's woven into the stories of the Quran and the early tales of Islam. It doesn't surprise me. In fact, I know of circumstances where in some vampire lore, they are kind of, the ghouls are kind of a, a, a sub servient being to a vampire hmm. um, if you think about how uh what dracula does to uh renfield in the the dracula novella or Dra- sorry the dracula novel um renfield feasts on on the flesh of dead dead smaller creatures not humans necessarily but he's a very ghoulish creature there have been a couple movies i know of where ghouls are created by vampires and it's usually by them drinking the blood of a vampire Hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that's, I mean, I, I imagine that's almost entirely a modern creation. Probably, uh, yeah. Associated with, with current vampiric uh, literature. But uh, interesting one, though, the way that they, they looked at them and said, you know, yeah. these guys are kind of like vampires, but they're not. What if we kind of uh, brought them in as, as, like you said, like a sub-character? Yeah. What I find fascinating, too, is that um, in the Arabic world today, um, the ghouls are still believed in, uh, particularly amongst the elderly community. Hmm. And a lot of these modern stories have been rewritten from uh, and adapted from old Arabic folk tales. Uh, so basically, I'm just quoting. I just quote the, p- the paper again. Yeah, I just find it fascinating. And of course, as a as a comic book geek, I have to make reference to Ra's al Ghul, who uh, because <laughs> literally it in Arabic means the demon's head. So why not make that distinction? Because I'm a nerd, and this is nerds on history. And I mentioned the Arabic spelling of Ghul, so I think it's justified. I think you're absolutely justified. If anyone has any other comments towards that, please email us. Though I realize that we've mentioned Batman twice already for both these things, so I'm going to stop after this. Fair enough. With the Batman references. I don't know what it is. Okay, I was Batman twice for Halloween as a little kid, so (laughs) (laughs) that's probably what it was. Well, you're a little batty, so it kind of makes sense. What are you trying to say, Eric? You're insane. Well, yeah. okay. Okay, fair enough. Shall we have uh, another go of the Wheel of History? Yeah, I'll give it another spin. Uh, Come on, Wheel. Do, 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 Do your thing. It's kind of creepy. It's kind of creepy. It's kind of okay. Wheel, can you stop screaming? Maybe just do something different. Oh, lovely Mongolian death worm. (laughs) What? The Mongolian death worm. I have to say, this is actually a really interesting uh, concept and idea around a creature. Here you have Mongolia, which is known for its very famous desert. Do you know uh, what I'm referring to? The Gobi Desert? The Gobi Desert. Well done. Uh, Yay. A uh, for taking passing early geography. (laughs) (laughs) Home to uh, lots of really great deposits from the the fossil record, including, of course, uh, many, many dinosaurs that have been found. Uh, A whole new species of dinosaurs have been discovered there since the 1920s. And uh, when an American paleontologist back in 1922 uh, by the name of uh, Roy Chapman Andrews was invited by the premier of Mongolia at that time, their head of state, 
to come to the country to perform an expedition. He assumed it was to to look for new fossil remains of, of dinosaur species, to discover a new dinosaur, perhaps even name it after the premiere. What he instead was requested to do was to look for the Mongolian deathworm. And he was, of course, fascinated, because this is the first person in the Western world who, after 1920, had even heard of a Mongolian deathworm. Uh, but it was a common uh, a cultural uh tradition and creature that existed in folklore and mythology in the area for for many many years nobody knows the exact date because there's not a whole lot of literature that's written on it and in fact uh, some of the first printed information about this comes about only in the 1930s and 1940s when subsequent expeditions were sent to find this legendary death worm and when you consider the description it's pretty terrifying have you ever seen the movie tremors oh yes i've seen the movie tremors yes love that movie by the way Absolutely love that movie. But you, for those who haven't, they're these gigantic worm-like creatures that are subterranean, and they've got these little uh, little um, spikes on them that they use to kind of push underneath the ground, and then they jump out of the ground and suck you down and pull you to your yeah, death. What always bothered me is that these it looks like these creatures have jaws. That doesn't make sense to me, because if they're worms, worms don't have mouths necessarily. I mean, well, they have mouths, but they don't. Yeah, just, it, it always kind of found that weird, but anyway. I think if they just nudged into you and, like, pushed you, it wouldn't have the same dramatic effect as a bunch of tentacles coming out and pulling you to your death. Probably. Just saying. Anyhow, in Mongolian, it's known as the Algoi Korkai. I'm probably butchering that. Almost certainly I'm butchering it. I've never actually heard Mongolian spoken, I believe. Uh, so I'm just going to go with that. Anyway, it means large intestine worm. Okay. And essentially it is this massive reddish in appearance, uh, two to five foot long worm that's described to be anywhere from the thickness of a man's arm to a thickness of a man's leg. So, you know, you can imagine this great big round nasty thing. Some depictions do show it with a mouth of kind of razor sharp teeth. But most of the traditional and the oldest depictions that have been uh, recorded state that it has no teeth at all. It's essentially just a large worm. What's fascinating, though, is apparently it is so poisonous that just being in its presence will kill you. And has two methods of which to deliver the venom. It can either spit this from some sort of orifice or some sort of secretion point on the on the creature's body. Or uh just touching it just getting in contact with it physical contact with it is enough to kill you so that there's like a, a venomous slime or something that's on the surface of its skin yeah something that that, that allows it to to cause you death hmm. the other interesting trait is electrocution seriously electrocution so, yes supposedly it can electrocute you to death and there are claims from the the natives of mongolia uh where again camels are actually quite common that camel caravans, entire caravans of camels, whole sections of them have been electrocuted to death uh, when they walked over the the, the subterranean uh, uh, habitation of one of these creatures. Maybe it was just under the surface or what have you, and it just came within uh, contact and it electrocuted them to death. Couldn't that be an explanation for... Um, heat exhaustion? Heat exhaustion. <laughs> no, I that, but also static electricity. I mean, it's not... Uh, you can... Static electricity. Look what happened with the whole dust storms in the 1920s. That was a combination of wind and static electricity that was being held in dust that created this massive dust storm. And that's not uncommon in this part of the world. Yeah, but static electricity, even in those quantities, can't really kill you. So, you know, I think it's probably a combination of more circumstantial situations. Uh, there's a legend uh, that, again, comes from the 1920s that states that uh, a gentleman who was who was a tourist, who was out on expedition, again, 
lots of paleontology was was being done at that time, uh, paleontological work. And um, supposedly he was bored and it was in the evening and he had a large iron rod and he was poking it into the ground and came across one of these creatures, was then electrocuted to death. Uh, the rod acting as the catalyst. As, as you do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, those who came to find his body were then confronted by it, and this massive creature that uh, attempted to kill them as well, and they scared it off and it, and it ran away. I think what's more likely is that uh, he was probably not being very well taken care of, probably had an existing heart condition, dropped dead of a heart attack, and this is their way of explaining, well, yeah. it wasn't our fault, it was the Mongolian death worm. Well, I'd like to point out uh, the voice of the skeptic here, if just being in its presence can kill you, how did these guys survive to tell the tale? Right? <laughs> no, that, exactly. If you if it can kill you from like twenty feet away of this spitting venom, how can you get a clear you know shot of it? And supposedly, it only comes out at two months during the year, which are the hottest months during the year. Oh, so maybe it's just a flat out hallucination. Quite possibly. If it only comes out in July and August, or June and July, I don't remember exactly what it was. And it's a worm in the Gobi Desert. It makes no sense at all. Absolutely no sense at well, all. Well, okay, alternative hypothesis then. If you are having such high heat exhaustion that you're hallucinating, is it possible that the image you're seeing looks so real and so terrifying that the shock kills you as well? So your body's in such a state of uh, dehydration, malnourishment, or what have you. That the hallucination it looks so intense that the shock just... Your just heart gives out as, yeah. as a result of the strain on your body? I guess it's possible. But yeah. again, then who tells the story if you're dead? <laughs> so it, it's, the, it's the same thing. The person right? the who got over the it. The person who, who was able to, to pull through. The, the person who, who suffered the heart attack but, but had bare aspirin nearby and was able to, to, <laughs> to manage to be okay. Sure. Uh, okay, yeah, maybe. I think what is also possible is misidentification. Okay. So there are creatures that can grow to be, at least on the minimum side length, pretty large, like two to three feet long. And they're a variety of reptile that essentially have no legs. Uh, they are reptilious, they are scaled in their body, uh, they have a head, and they have either very small limbs or their limbs just are no longer existent. Evolution took care of those a long time ago. I.e. serpents, essentially. Like serpents, but they predominantly live on the land, actually. There's, yeah. There are a variety of them live in the ocean, but there are those who, who live subterranean in the land. None of them have ever been recorded in the fossil record or in existence in terms of of eyewitness sightings in the Gobi Desert, however. And it just doesn't make sense. The Gobi is just too unforgivable. It It is a nasty and very dry and very arid place. And it's not the kind of place where you would find a creature like this. But it's one hell of a story. And it is a pretty... Cool. And there was also a film based on this, wasn't there? So think about it. There's been tons of them. Uh, Tolkien actually wrote about it in The Hobbit. Uh, He writes about a a large uh, subterranean worm-like creature. Uh, Think about Beetlejuice. Remember Beetlejuice? Right, sure, of course. Where were those located? Out Uh, in the desert. Sure. Yeah, they were these sand creatures, right? So uh, it's something that uh, was taken from Mongolia and then spread and, and has been around. Tremors sure. is another good example of it. And of so, course, and if, if it goes back as far as the Mongolian Empire, it, I mean, that spread all the way up through and had an influence with Europe at that point. So, One other possible explanation, and, and connected with the, the venomous side of this creature, is the Death Adder. Uh, which is a rather the what the death adder this is a real thing it's a really nasty very large snake uh and it is known to inhabit the the gobi and it can kill you very very quickly with a single bite that's fascinating there is a fish 
that uh, actually lives in the desert. It's kind of crazy. Um, it, deep enough in the sand, there's enough moisture for the fish to survive. Oh, I've seen these. It is trippy when you see it. it just, I mean, it just looks like a big fish, but it's its very odd the things you can find in the, in the desert. Yeah. I will say that. Not in the Gobi, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think this is actually in the African, uh, the Sahara Desert somewhere. Yeah, so. that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, Wheel of History, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it, but... Uh, <laughs> it's in a strange mood tonight, isn't it? It is indeed, but... But we uh, did kind of invoke you. this. I, mean. I don't want to make it mad, so... Yeah, um, keep, keep, keep going for fear of its wrath. Please. Swamp creatures. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. You know what? I think I'm going to have to expand on this a little bit because swamp creatures is very specific. What I find more interesting is there is a large number of these Piscean and amphibian anthropomorphic kind of creatures throughout every culture, throughout history. And I think a swamp creature is just one element of a bigger parallel that we're, that we're talking about. And that would include mermaids and, and other creatures like that. that are Of course, mermaids, them. mermen, of course, right? Um, Gilman, if you like the creature of the Black, Black Lagoon. Uh, or Uncle Gilbert, if you watch this, the... The, the monsters, monsters. <laughs> right? Gilman looks so less more uh, intimidating when he's wearing a fedora. I will say that. <laughs> well, don't we all? I know you do. Yeah, thank you. That's true. I do. <laughs> so let me just draw off a list here, and I think what you guys can do is just uh, our listeners just to, to research these, and I'll share one very odd one for the very end. Um, there's the Adaro from the mythology of the Solomon Islands. There's the uh, Atartagus from the Assyrian mythology, the Dagon from Semitic mythology, the Ea from Babylonian mythology, the Glaucus, uh, a mortal transformed into a merman in Greek mythology. Uh, there's the Haket, the ancient Egyptian frog-headed goddess of fertility. Uh, there's Ha, uh, the ancient Egyptian frog-headed god whose name means endlessness. Booyah, I just made an Egyptian reference. You did. You did. I don't 100% agree with it in this context, but that's fine. Okay. I'm just saying that the ancient Egyptians had lots of anthropomorphized creatures. They put the animal heads onto... Um, there are the uh, Iaras from Brazilian mythology. Uh, Matsya, uh, which is an avatar of Vishnu uh, in Piscean form. So that's a... Uh, that would be, of course, from in, uh, Hinduism. The Ioannes from the... Again, from Babylonian mythology. The Pinkois from uh, La Serena Chilota, which is a princess of the sea in, in the Chilote mythology. Uh, the Rusalki in Slavic mythology. The Siokoi in Philippine mythology. Triton, of course, the son of Poseidon from Greek mythology. And the uh, Vodianoi of the Slavic mythology. Pretty so- much every <laughs> major culture has some form of amphibian slash Piscean creature that is man-like. Though none of these are my favorite. My favorite, no surprise, is the bishop fish. <laughs> this how, is, how do you always manage to do this? You, you always... You it know what? finds you, me. And I swear, it finds me. You've been a nerdonomy vampire tonight. Because you've been stealing all my Egyptian bits, too. And you're doing your Catholic bit again, too. This is this is fascinating. The bishop fish. So this, this creature um, is from Polish uh, lore. Uh, and it was first reported in the 16th century. And this, this story 
is so odd. The fish was found and brought to the authorities and uh, where there happened to be a couple of Catholic bishops nearby. And uh, it gestured for uh, the bishops to release it. So the bishops said, okay, let it go, let it go. It gives the sign of the cross and then just kind of goes away. Um, looking at the picture of this thing, it is... <laughs> I, it's I the most know. ridiculous thing I've ever seen on this show. It pretty much is, um, but it is hilarious, and I have to, I could not bring it up. It is the most ridiculous looking monster that could possibly exist, and and its its fear is more so in its absurdity than anything. Yeah, because it's not even really a harmful monster. It looks kind of cuddly, actually. It it does look kind of cuddly. I wouldn't mind hanging out with it, having to knock it back some... (laughs) Some sacramental wine, but um. So anyway, can you describe for our, our, our listeners who are driving? What and I'm don't seeing want to get here is it looks like a little pudgy man, but his torso is all round and scaly, and he's got like these weird amorphous looking feet and uh, long fingers. But he's also got this little beard, and he's got kind of a pointed tipped head that again is also scaly from about above the eyebrows to the top. You know Basically, what he looks, looks like? Like a, like, a, like a skilly miter. No, no, you know what he looks like? He looks like that uncle that you invited to your Halloween party where the costume was mandatory, but he was doing a really half-assed job at it and just <laughs> was, in a way, rebelling against the party. So he comes dressed in the stupidest costume he could possibly find, or the one that was just took the least amount of effort to create. Right. That's what he looks like. Yes, it looks just like that. I agree. <laughs> um, folks, if you're interested in that, that was actually just a real, real simple a Wikipedia list that uh, you can access that gives you a lot of great links that you can go and look at more of these fascinating creatures. And I, and I didn't even get through all of them. Those are the ones from mythology. There's tons in folklore as well. And like I said, pretty much every major culture has some form of this Piscine, again, amphibious-looking creature. America has basically Gilman. That's that's its most recent contribution. And, you know, there's tons of shows and this culture around trying to find these swamp creatures. Yeah, no surprise that a lot of those come from the American South, where swamps are common. Of course, exactly, like the Everglades and Louisiana, and probably. To, as down well. in the bayou. Yeah, exactly. And, and areas in, in uh, the, the southern Mississippi River and all that. Yeah, Sure. All right. We all right, Wheel. Again? Yeah. Yeah, um, all right. It's my turn this time. Okay, Wheel. Go for it. <laughs> that, that wasn't a scream. That was different, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, good. Um... Okay, that, still terrified, but that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll roll with it. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Yeah? La Chupacabra. The Chupacabra? Yes. <laughs> the Chupacabra. I don't, I don't know why. I've always imagined the Chupacabra as, yes, this, I mean, I've heard of this creature before, but I kind of think of him as talking with a surfer accent. I don't know why. I just think it's makes him a lot less terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> like he's from like San Diego. Hey, dude, do you mind? Could we get some of those tacos de las cabras and put some extra crema on it? Thanks. Cha. He'd probably be able to walk around South Beach and like no nobody would notice. Nobody would care. It's like oh chupacabra, right? That that would be pretty much the extent of the reaction that people would have down there. Probably. I'm just saying. But, uh, yes, the chupacabra, or the goat sucker. As it means literally from Spanish. Chupar, to suck. uh, And, of course, cabra meaning goat. So, this is a weird, weird creature. And not unlike uh, unlike our first monster we talked about, this one also has a really recent history. Because before 1995, there's essentially no references to the chupacabra 
anywhere in Central and Latin America. Nowhere. Really? It has no origin point that exists in any other creature from those regions that is remotely like it. And it's so bizarre because in just a few short years, all it took was maybe five years, and it evolved into something completely different, too. So this is kind of a weird one. But the chupacabra originates uh, in its origin myth from Puerto Rico, uh, from the island of Puerto Rico. And in 1995, there was an outbreak of cattle mutilations, uh, over 200 of them in a very short period of time, just over a couple of months. And the local populace was extremely concerned. Rumors originated around a satanic cult being involved because there were these puncture wounds found on the necks of livestock and cattle, not just goats, but also, you know, uh, horses and cows and, and other animals uh, in the livestock variety, who appeared to have had their blood completely drained out. And uh, this was... So basically this is an animal vampire, essentially. More or less. This is, this is the, the idea behind it. And then you had some of the first eyewitness sightings uh, again, in 1995, that state that uh, its appearance was bizarre. Uh, it's more or less the size of a small bear. It has green, scaly skin, large black eyes, claws on its feet and on its hands, and uh, spikes that protrude from its head going all the way down to its, to its spinal cord and following the whole length of the spinal cord. It's a terrifying, almost alien-like creature, and it lets... That's why I like him to be in a speaking in a surfer accent, and just being this kind of casual guy. guy. <laughs> Wearing a pair of, like, floral shorts. Yeah, sandals. Shirt off. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a beer in one hand. Yeah, he's a, he's a nice guy. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying he's, he's terrifying looking. What I find really interesting is that many people then wanted to... to believe it was some sort of alien and some alien abduction theory around cattle and all this. And all, all of this is stemmed from this myth of the chupacabra. One of the eyewitness accounts came from a woman named uh, Madeline Toltino. And Madeline Toltino, uh, who gave this eyewitness account and described this creature, was later interviewed uh, a few years ago and uh, found that uh, she had seen a movie just a very short time before she had witnessed this creature. Hmm. Now, based on the description, and I'll give it to you again, it's this green, scaly creature, you know, bipedal. It's got claws on its hands and its feet. It's got these large black eyes and spines protruding from it. You, Mr. Movie Man, can you think of a movie that would have come out in and around 1995 that would kind of match up with this description? Oh, yeah, though, it, not upon, I had to think about it for a second. Species. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It coincides almost exactly with the release of the movie Species. So what you're saying is N Natasha Henstrich is the chupacabra. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, not really. But <laughs> but I find it so fascinating that, that here we have this description of this creature that comes out right around the time of this movie. And it has produced this phenomena that is now the chupacabra. And it's huge. There are chupacabra sightings now purportedly in the Philippines. There are chupacabra sightings in Africa. There are chupacabra sightings in Russia. This is a really well-traveled creature. <laughs> Apparently it's arisen from its dormancy. Yeah. And these stories have now passed all throughout Central and South America. Uh, Nicaragua is now the new hot spot for chupacabra sightings. <laughs> the new hot spot? Yeah. Like, there's some... It's just... I know, it's ridiculous. 
I had a friend. Some, I'm just imagining some cultural show, like a travel show. Are you looking for chupacabras? Well, Nicaragua is a new hotspot. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend. It was the last year of middle school. And he told me this story about his, uh, his cousin who lived in Mexico. And he borrowed his grandmother's car. And he went out driving and, you know, being like... God, I don't know. He was like 14 or 15 years old. He didn't know how to drive the car very well. Different laws in Mexico. Different laws. Uh, Although I'm pretty sure that's also illegal in Mexico. But he ran into some other car, and he got this green paint scraped all up the side of the car. (laughs) And he came home. He brought the the car back with this great big dent in it, this green paint all over it. And his grandmother just came out freaking out. What happened to my car? What happened to my car? And he's like, it was a chupacabra. I saw it from my window. This thing was just running around and ran right into the car and hit the car. And then look, look, this chupacabra left on the car. She bought it. (laughs) Hey, guys, I am sorry that I'm laughing so hard through it, but some of these... It's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But what's most interesting about this is the chupacabra has evolved. As soon as it came to America, it became something different. Like when it was on the X-Files and was essentially the aliens from... uh, the UFO sightings. Oh, dude, that was actually one of the best file episodes of the X Files. I think I've seen. It was a great it was episode. Yeah, amazing. The acid rain and all that oh, stuff. Totally, people melting. totally. Oh, it was cool. No, it evolved differently. It became a canid, so it became a dog essentially. And all these reports in the American Southwest of these vicious-looking dogs that had no skin, or excuse me, no fur. Pardon me, but this wrinkled, nasty-looking skin uh, and these great big teeth, and they were killing livestock. Well. It turns out they're mangy coyotes. Mange is a nasty thing. It's caused by ticks. Ticks bite the animal, actually leave their feces behind in it, and it causes them to uh, to get this nasty infection that makes their, their, their hair fall out, essentially. The skin gets nasty and irritated, becomes very leather-like. Uh, and if you've ever seen a mangy dog or a mangy coyote, they look really scary. They look kind of reptilian, as you were yeah explaining exactly and if they're emaciated their spine's going to protrude a little mm-hmm. bit from their back and they fit them let's just say they were nearby a food coloring factory <laughs> and so their skin has a green hue to it the, the american chupacabra <laughs> the american chupacabra has not taken on the green appearance oh yeah so the myth has evolved and changed a little bit when oh. we got to america that's a shame but they do and are known to as coyotes have oftentimes been known to kill livestock and a single bite mark found on a neck can look exactly like what was described uh in these these cattle mutilation accounts that started this whole myth in in 1995 in puerto rico and if you if you bite in the jugular as animals often do and you puncture it just the right way guess what's going to happen to the animal it's going to bleed to death in minutes (laughs) exactly it's going to bleed out (laughs) these massive hearts inside these cows and other animals are literally just pumping out their blood so yeah I'm sorry, yeah. folks. The chupacabra is not real. Yeah, it, folks. You know, I I like goats, but I'm not picky. You know, I'll take I take a sheep or a cow or uh, you know just whatever whatever's available. All right. Sorry. I just <laughs> sorry. I don't know where that came from. It can this this it it will evolve. I think we should do a skit. I think we should do a video <laughs> skit involving the 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 dubra the dubra chupacabras. Who are totally misunderstood. Totally. It'll evolve. As the Chupacabra has. This will be its next form. Uh, and then, Can and we then get you Natasha Henstridge to be, to be a guest star? You know what will happen, though? Is that, that surfers across the country 
will will be harassed and accused of of crimes as a result of this. <laughs> he bit me. <laughs> <laughs> he bit me. Then he bit my surfboard. And he threw sand in my face. Are you Damn sure that chupacabra. wasn't just a shark? I am positive. It was a chupacabra. <laughs> They've become seafaring creatures now. <laughs> uh, well, go. You, you've got one final spin, I think. I think I got one final spin. Please, whatever you do, do not make that much noise this time. I'm asking you nicely, Wheel. Please. Yeah, you, my family's not that far away. You're terrifying people. Oh, good God. Why did you do that? You should have... Because you asked. I you yet, brought it on yourself. Clearly, the uh, Wheel of History has a sense of humor. <laughs> Not. Goblins. This is a fun little one. Mm. Yes, indeed. So, what's funny is, I look at these early illustrations of them, and they kind of look like Jawas from, from Star Wars. These little creatures. Dee-dee. Even though, technically, they actually they look more like Yoda would look, with the protruding ears and their short stature. Goblin itself... The name comes from medieval Latin, uh, from the uh, Gobilinus, uh, which is a, uh, is actually of an uncertain origin. But then that was translated into Old French, the Gobelin, and then Goblin, hmm. uh, as it made its way uh, through, Norman, uh, through Norman culture into England. So we can kind of guess that it has a related word in German, the Kobold, which also is like Kabbalist, which means uh, rogue or knave, which makes sense because goblins have this history of being these mischievous creatures. Examples of the goblin go back to probably around middle of the second of second millennium, about the Middle Ages, basically. Of course, made popular very much so by the Lord of the Rings trilogy, right? Because, oh, absolutely. Yeah, though Tolkien's version of him, he kind of uses the name back and forth with orcs, almost synonymously. Um, goblins are kind of smaller versions of, of orcs, but orcs in the films that Peter Jackson did, the goblins look very different. Like, they have got pointier noses and pointier ears, and the orcs look more like... They look more beastly, for lack of a better uh, definition. And, of course, the goblins are very prominent in the Harry Potter series, right? These tricky, feisty little uh, creatures who are also the heads of the, uh, the banking industry, which is <laughs> interesting social commentary. Miss Rowling. And actually, speaking of that, when we get to the modern perception of goblins, a lot of modern authors have really just kind of run with it and taken their own spin on goblins. I think actually Tolkien and Rowling are the most respectful to the original perception of goblins. But just reading over the examples of fantasy literature, they, I mean, of course you have the Green Goblin from Spider-Man, who is not even a goblin at all. It's a human uh, who but then there was the hobgoblin, of course, based off of the hobgoblin creature as well, uh, who became an actual goblin at one point. But then you get things like in the Artemis Fowl series where they're more reptilian, and in the uh, Spiderwick Chronicles, which is of course the children's series where they're more toad-like. And they're really just the lore for them is very open to interpretation. Some say that they can conjure fireballs. Some say that they are afraid of light. They're all kind of thrown about. And if you played any modern role-playing game uh, as of late... Of course, World features, of Warcraft. Of course. Features, they're very steampunked now. Yeah, totally. And they've always got the long ears, right? That's yeah. kind of like the... the Trademark. Major yeah. trademark attribute of the, uh, the creatures. And of course, they're in Dungeons and & Dragons and Warhammer and plenty of other nerd mediums. They're kind of perfect for us, actually. Exactly. 
Um, and they, they are also a cross-cultural phenomenon because they are in uh, a lot of different cultures. There, there, there's some in China. They're in Korea, uh, though they, have, of course, have different names. Um, India, uh, of course, all the way through the British Isles, uh, Germany, and Scandinavia as well. So very interesting how this creature has kind of moved around. I will say though. I don't have other, much other research for it, but I will say that if you guys are interested, there is a book called Spirits, Fairies, Gnomes, and Goblins, which is an encyclopedia curated by Carol Rose of little people creatures, essentially. So usually when I see these encyclopedias that are com- curated by one person, it's a pretty solid um, r- research that's been done. It's just it's, they, they don't have any one way of being able to uh, devote to one type of creature so they just they make it encyclopediatic so that you can just kind of go through it not like the books you would see in the middle ages of someone being able to categorize and curate information about their time period so i give it credibility check it out you can uh, find it on amazon and all the other major book venues all right well we were going to wrap it up but the wheel of history is bleeding a lot more than it was previously i think i think it wants another spin Okay, let's just give it what it wants. All right. Uh, uh, um, okay, that was n- nicer, I-, I think. All right, let's just let's just get on with the topic. Cause the wheels making me really nervous. Okay, let's just let's just let's just do this. Oh, this is an interesting one. This one I've actually had conversations about uh, with some of our colleagues at work before. Uh, this is the aswan. The what? The aswan. The aswan. No. (laughs) Listen to the word. Aswang. Aswan. Yeah. Okay. This is quite possibly the most disturbing of all the creatures that we've talked about this evening. This thing is is nasty and scary. And it it comes from... Pokubawa wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that one was (laughs) atrocious. This one, though, this this one's pretty awful, too. Uh, This one actually comes from the Philippines. Okay. And it is the most reported and talked about creature in all of Filipino mythology. Uh, it has existed, unlike some of the other ones that we've referenced tonight, it has existed since pre-16th century, since before the Spanish got there. And the Spanish were commenting on how horrid and awful this creature was. And it appears in pretty much every single province throughout the Philippines. There's only a couple of exceptions. And it, it takes on a lot of different forms, has different names depending on which region it's from. Uh, and it's become almost kind of uh, synonymous with a, with a witch or with a just demon in general, if you will. And it is thought to take the form of a human during the day. Uh, It's believed to, again, live among your community. Usually these are people who are kind of shy, who are uh, taken to being very bombastic and and lively members of the community. And they oftentimes have jobs that are associated with uh, butchery, like being a butcher or a sausage maker or something to that effect. Uh, At night, however, these creatures change pretty dramatically. And depending on which one you're talking about, they take on different forms. So I think the the most horrific of them all is the tick-tick, which is named after supposedly the sound that it kind of makes when it's in flight. Uh, again, takes the form of a bat-like creature. Uh, there are lots of different variations. Some of them look more human. Some of them are just really nasty, terrible-looking animals. And uh, they are thought to to kill unborn children. They are thought to, again, attack people in non-urban areas, so rural places, out in the forest, out in the jungle you know, away from large cities and what have you. Of course. They're thought to rip you to pieces, just tear the limbs off of you, and then consume the flesh of your dead body. What they do afterwards is really fascinating. They'll take the uh, the trunk of a banana tree, and they'll then carve a likeness of you. 
and return this doppelganger to your home. Some versions of the myth say that the doppelganger is so lifelike that it's animated. It lives and essentially kind of encompasses your soul for the last few days of your existence because these doppelgangers always get sick and then die like two or three days later. So you hear it and you're hearing the explanation of unexplained deaths in your community, whether it be a woman who's having a miscarriage or whether it's somebody who's died unexpectedly or, or had a sudden illness that's been uh, set upon them. And again, looking for somebody to be a scapegoat. And you have examples of this actually happening. Some people are being accused of being these aswang and are you know, treated rather horribly and nasty. It's a common fable and tale that's told in tabloids all throughout the Philippines. And it's been the subject of countless movies. Of course. Um, one of its more horrific uh, embodiments includes only half of it. Apparently, it detaches the upper half of its body. It literally just rips it apart. And then that's the part that, of course, has the wings attached to it. And that's the part that goes out and does the really nasty stuff. And my question is, what happens to the lower half? It just walks around, bumping into walls. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 right? How is that fair? Why doesn't it all go? Is it just too top-heavy? Or, or too bottom-heavy, I guess? So it has to detach. I guess it's, just, just... it's an equally terrifying concept. Like, if you were to see it, that the legs are still functioning on its own. And then it just goes and flies off and does its own mischief. Still, though, if I encountered a pair of just legs walking around, that wouldn't be something terribly difficult to defeat. And if this creature has to come back and reattach to those legs, it seems like a pretty easy way of killing it. Just go after the legs. It's already gone. Like, I suppose. You know, I suppose. But again, there's no one who's really witnessed an attack by one of these Aswan, right? So, oh, well, there's plenty of people who claim they have. Of course, claim they have, but yet they didn't know how to fight it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, like I said, there's lots of different variations. It also takes the form of many different animals, so dogs and cats and other creatures. Uh, and it's uh, oftentimes, again, accompanied by ill tidings and nasty things that have happened in the community. Things that, again, unexplained, but this is a way of explaining it. And they've been around for, like I said, a long time. I mean, there's been hundreds and hundreds of years of this myth. Uh, I find it interesting ways to, to kill it, though, or to, to be warned when it's near. Because it's, it's thought to make a lot of noise when it's flapping its wings far away from you but as it gets closer it gets deceptively quieter until it sneaks up on you and then kills you so to to make sure that you're okay uh, a common deterrent is to take a a bottle of a, a special oil that's actually extracted from the boiled remains of coconut meat and then you mix that with certain kind of plant stems and other kind of vegetation and then you apply special prayers to this and if you take that oil and you set it to a boil and you let it just kind of uh, bubble and, and froth and let it continue to boil throughout the evening, uh, if it kind of uh, calms down or changes in its reaction to the heat, then you know that you have one of these nasty creatures nearby. If you want to kill it, though, you need to have yourself a stingray's tail. Apparently that will allow it to die if you, if you catch one of them with it. As it would any creature that you would attach with a stingray's tail. Okay, fair enough. But still, though, <laughs> still, though. It's kind of a strange thing to be whirling about. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, silver weapons. This is an element that is actually probably brought in from um, werewolf lore, because werewolves uh, are also associated with this creature in the Philippines. So it's an interesting. I wonder if... The well, we were talking about during the Lucky Charms episode, uh, or the Superstitions episode, a couple months, or back last month, yeah. the silver is uh, believed to have kind of a supernatural power over these kind of creatures. Exactly. And also salt. Salt is thought to have a, an acid-like reaction to the creature. Uh, so make sure if you visit the Philippines, you bring ample supplies of, of salt and stingray tails mm -hmm. uh, and leave some oil on the boil. 
Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, I will say, though, when we were looking at this, there are other Philippine-based creatures that are equally as terrifying. Oh, yeah. This this freaking uh, Tick Balang. Which is like the, uh, this bipedal horse demon. This is crazy looking. Terrifying. It looks like a horse spider looking thing. It's really, really uh, upsetting. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Well, so it, it reminds me of, do you know what straddle stance is? Uh-uh. It's in martial arts. It's when you basically you expand, bend your legs uh-huh. out as far as you can and you try to squat in position. This thing looks like a horse with two legs trying to do that. And then it has arms. Yeah. Really elongated Really elongated legs that look spider-like. It's yeah. it's pretty terrifying. It is kind of scary. Straight from the Philippines, our very last monster. Put the wheel away, please. Where'd, where'd it go? It just disappeared. Ladies and gentlemen, this may very well be the last episode of Nerds on History. If for some reason we are uh, dead or replaced by banana tree doppelgangers upon our return next week, um, it's been nice knowing you. Indeed. And you know what, folks? Please, um, if we missed over a creature, please share it with us over our Facebook account. Um, yeah, because we know we have listeners from around the world, and we'd love for you to share your frightening, evil, scary creature. Please, please do that. In fact, I think for our Mystery Monday uh, for next week, y- the mystery will be you shed some light on us uh, for what has been some mysterious occurrences related to monsters in your part of the world. I love it. Yep. I love it. Let's do it. Of course, folks, you can follow us on our Twitter accounts. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at The Brickmont. And, of course, our company Twitter is Enderonomy. By the way, check out our brand new fantastic website that we've been working on really hard on where you can uh, read our blog, uh, give us some feedback. we got the feedback page up and running Yay. again. And, uh, you know, make a donation if you have uh, in your hearts and your wallets, for that matter. We now have to buy a variety of protective charms and amulets to protect us from the now rogue wheel of history which has been demonically possessed yeah and of course uh tune in next week guys for another halloween based episode our last one of the month indeed ghosts that's right an old classic and other spectral types of beings other than ghosts so until next time stay nerdy and tune in next week same nerd time same nerd channel nerdonomy.com Okay, so you got the um Yeah, can you throw the wine bottle over this way? I'll of course. Over a second. Yeah, let's totally. Get let's get those glasses over here, please. Yeah, sure. No ah! Oh Jesus. It's back. It's back. Oh it's god. Back. It's back. The Wheel of History's back. Okay. Um, um uh, why does it have juice and cookies for us? Well it did let out a lot of blood earlier. <laughs> uh, uh, uh you know what? Let's just run. Yeah. Run. Okay, right. Yeah, we'll run. Ah! Yeah. Ah! Ah, 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 ah. Who's the sucker now? <laughs>